Hello. One person that will tell us, oh wait, hello. Hello. You're new here or you're you, you just wanted, or maybe you've been here for ages and you still wonder who I am. I'm the vicar, uh, my name's Ben, uh, and we are kind of, as we approach Christmas, looking at uh, joy, and particularly how joy is uh, expressed through the songs that are sung in the lead up to Jesus' birth um, and just after Jesus was born. Uh, Shall we pray before we start? Father, we thank you for the gift of joy. May it root itself in our hearts now. May we know the joy of salvation that comes from the security of knowing that Jesus died our death and gives us new life through resurrection. May your Holy Spirit come now and grant us a fresh wave of joy that surpasses our life experience, that surpasses the problems that we're in, that overwhelms us, fills us anew. Amen. 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 Uh, sometime later this week, um, the Link magazine will finally be uh, printed, and uh, in it you'll read um, my bit, I don't know what to call it, my rant, um, which uh, is about joy. And it's about, one of the things I talk about there is the gift of joy being different from happiness. Happiness is that fleeting kind of moment of, yay, I scored a football goal, or yay, I've, I've done something. Whereas joy is something that's deep-rooted in our hearts. Joy is something that, although life has its ups and downs, joy continues. Um, Tony Campalo, the, the evangelist and sociologist, um, described going to, I think it was Haiti, where he was going up, to, up, up a mountain and he got off the airport and got in this jeep and the road was really rutted and the road went, the, the jeep bounced up and down. And then they went up the mountain and the road was still really rutted and it went up and down. And he said, that's like the joy of Jesus, is that beforehand I was at the bottom and life went up and down and then with Jesus I'm at the top of the mountain I'm still going up and down but the 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 downs are so much higher than the ups were at the bottom of the mountain now that's what joy is joy is this shift up that although life is still up and down the joy of Jesus the joy of what God has done for us sears through the problems of life and infects our hearts and I hope that as we explore the songs that a son, in the lead up to Jesus' birth, and the, the son, the angel, sent to the shepherds, was find something out about joy that is greater than the situation we find ourselves in. Um, I said to the team here, I said, um, the theme is joy this year, so I want lots of bright colours. And haven't they done well? Some of the decorations look amazing. Thank you to everyone who's been involved in that. Um, I didn't know we could get quite so many pom-poms produced. Um, Everywhere. So thank you to everyone who's involved in that. So Mary sings this famous song that we had just had read out, the Magnificat, in response to the fact that she's been told that she will bear a son and his name will be Jesus. That she's going to bear the Christ. And she sings this glorious song. And singing of songs as a result of what God has done has a long history um, in Exodus, which we're reading in morning prayer at the moment, we're just getting through the songs of Moses, when Moses hears of what God is going to set his people free. And that when God's people are set free, Miriam sings a song in response to what God has done. 
This song that Mary sings is about her joy. She says, my spirit rejoices, rejoice in God my Saviour. Mary's joy, indeed our joy, is rooted in understanding who God is and who God works through. And in Mary's song, we see that that nature of God and who God chooses to work through is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Scripture says. It's the same in Mary's time as it was in Israel's time, and thereby extension, it's the same in today's time. That the nature of God hasn't changed. Who God chooses to use hasn't changed. The way God uses people hasn't changed. The song of Mary tells us how God works, what his nature is and who he uses. And that, being used by God, being shaped by God, is the root of our rejoicing. Mary starts from who God is and how she seeks to live his will. Healthy joy is rooted in our understanding of our position in God's plan. Joy is founded in our understanding and our reflecting God's character. His attitude, if you will. His attitude to us. His attitude to others. His attitude to the world. Our understanding of God's attitude the way he thinks about others, how he thinks about you and I, of what his plan for the world is, is the foundation of living a life of joy. And this is what is foundational in this, in this song of Mary. It tells us about the nature of God. The danger of all um, theology and all sermons and all that kind of stuff is that it can quite quickly become about what we should do. It's a classic... Um, um, what's the word? I can't, I can't find the right word. It's a, it's a classic um, understanding of what a sermon is. Outside the world, people think you come to church and you're told what to do. You're told how to behave. But actually, it should start from reminding ourselves what God is like. And through that, who we should be before we get to what we should do. It should start from his nature and character. And indeed, this is where Mary starts from. Her character and God's character. The easy question, the easy preach is to focus on moral nature. For me to stand up here and tell you what to do. How to behave. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Do more of that. Give the church more money. That's the, that's easy. That's the easy sermon. But that's just simple humanism, really. The understanding that the nature and character of God is different. To dwell on that nature is proper theology and preaching. And it's difficult. We end up imagining God, really, if we're not careful, just as a better version of ourselves. God's just like me, really, just with the bad stuff knocked off. They're really very much like me. The light of the world is just a brighter version of a candle. But rather 
Theology should be discerning an objective view of God. God has character, elements of which are surprising. It's not just God is our own image reflected back at us. If we're not careful, we can sit in a dark room and we can think what God should be like. And the God that we're left with is just like us. When was the last time you were surprised by something about the character and nature of God? When was the last time you thought, oh, God thinks that's important? I don't. When was the last time you thought, oh, God's passionate about that group of people? When was the last time you thought, God isn't happy with me doing this or that? Because if you've never thought those thoughts, what you're probably doing is just creating God in your own image. It's why we have an objective text to go back to. So, I've spoken a long time, not actually gotten to the text. So I go to the text. Um, if you've got your Bibles, do have them open. Um, I don't know, I've got a different Bible to you guys, so mine's on page 61. Good luck with yours. Someone did the beginning. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So what does this passage start to tell us about the nature of God and who God chooses to use? Mary sings and she says, I am the Lord's servant, verse 48. He's looked with favour on the lowness of his servant. And Israel, at verse 54 at the end, he has helped his servant Israel. Our position to God, Mary's position to God, Israel's position to God, is as someone who serves. And yet, there's, an ob- there's a giving of favour or mercy towards those that serve God. Here we go, um, verse 48, for he has looked look, look with favour on the lowliest of his servants. He looked with favour. He doesn't look dispassionately, he gives favour. And a different way of putting that would be, Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has helped his servant Israel because he is merciful. So although we're called to serve God, we're also told the nature of God is that he is with us. His favour is with us. His mercy is with us. And that mercy continues. For Israel, it says, in verse 50, it goes from generation to generation. Verse 52, he's brought down the powerful from their thrones. He's worked in the past. He's going to work in the future. And Mary says the same thing in verse 50. Oh, no, sorry, that's, he's mercy goes from generation to generation. I've got confused in my notes. Someone caught me between the services and said, oh, Ben, did you see the news report that you know, church attendance is going down? Apart from Evensong, for some reason, that's going up. We'll get, there'll be um, the church do the review of their electoral roll every six years. They, they wipe clean the electoral roll and we rebuild it. And most, we, we've, we lost two people for our electoral roll. Most churches that in the area have lost 30%, 40% of their electoral when they looked around and they went, 
oh, that person moved away, that person's passed away, that person doesn't come to church anymore. They've they realized their electoral died off quite quickly. What's going to happen, there'll be a news article soon, church numbers in massive decline. And we can listen to that, or we can listen to the character of God, which says his mercy endures from generation to generation. We can listen to the worries and the fears that church is going horribly wrong, or we can raise our eyes and go, we know that God is faithful. We can raise our eyes to the worldwide church and know that the church in China, in Africa, the church around the world is booming. In the Western world, yeah, numbers aren't great, but hey, we're doing all right as well. Because the nature of God is his mercy endures from generation to generation. Are we going to focus on that, or are we going to navel gaze and worry about how to be more attractive in some way and cool. And finally, something that we see in the character here, is verse 48 says, For he has looked with favour on the lowliness, the lowliness of his servant. And then it changes the focus to Israel in verse 52. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. The lowly. How do you feel about being the lowly people? The low down. That's you, that's me. That's what we're called to be. God does not choose the winners. But rather he rots the powerful and the mighty. Are we happy to be the lowly ones? Are we happy to be the quiet ones? Are we happy to be those who get on with serving? Or do we campaign to be heard? Do we campaign to be listened to? We're in the middle of an election at the moment. We can hear the voice everywhere, can't we? Of, Listen to me. How many, how many of you ha- have got leaflets that go into the dozens and dozens and dozens that have gone through our, our doors? How attractive is that? Perhaps we're called to be the losers, the people who are quiet, the people who serve. And that doesn't make sense all the time. Sometimes we'll be called to do things that doesn't make sense. We think we should be doing things that are outrageous, things that get the church noticed, that get the church on the front page for positive reasons, for some reason. But that's living by sight, and we're called to live by faith. That means sometimes backing the thing that feels that by our sight it will fail, but by God's favour it will succeed. Sometimes we need to listen to God and do the thing that doesn't make sense because God has said that's the thing that will happen. Because the only way that we will have joy in our midst is by following God's will and God's result. The proud, they know the result. They think they know the result. The powerful try to influence the result. The strong try to force the result. But the humble, the lowly, the one, the ones that God has called to be blessed, aren't sure how it's going to turn out. Are living by faith and not by sight. Are laying down our arms. We're not... We're not a people who should be operating from our own resources. 
our own capability. We shouldn't be asking ourselves, what can we do? But rather asking ourselves, what can God do through us? That's where joy is found. And we see this in Mary's life, that she sings this song of joy. Now, it's anachronistic to think that somehow Mary had some great big career plans, that she had a, her life plotted out, that you know, I'll become the governor of Judea at this point. And just, that she didn't have some plan that was blown completely out of the water because she was a lowly village girl. But her plans, the little plans that she had, were put in jeopardy by, by what God was doing in her life. We know that Joseph questioned his engagement to Mary, that the marriage was almost torn off, that her life was almost thrown upside down, and yet she still rejoices in what God is doing. She rejoices in the fact that God has upset her plans. She rejoices in the fact that despite being lowly, God has a great purpose for her. She rejoices despite the fact that life is going to get very chaotic and very difficult. Do we desire and do we ask that God will interrupt our life with his plans? Or do we really try to convince God that our plans are the best? I do the second. It's the whole Ken Dodd joke, isn't it? How do you make God laugh? You tell him your plans. Here's a test. If God appeared now and asked you to do something outrageous, to go on mission abroad, to give away all your belongings, to do something incredible that you couldn't do, would you do it? Yes, I hope so. Okay, how about this? If God whispered that and you weren't quite sure it was God, what excuses would you make for not doing it? I have a really nice vicarage. I don't want to move like that. I really like my, ha- my home. My kids' education, uh, that, that, that might be interrupted. How would we survive? How would we live? How would we feed ourselves? Those excuses that you can feel bubbling up in your life, they're the idols that need to be laid aside in order that we are ready to say yes to God's plan. In this song, Mary is completely obsessed with the fact that God has called her to a great purpose, that she lays aside all the problems and is focused on the nature and character and the goodness of God. I pray that we'll be the same people, not operating out of our own resources. Because when we operate out of our own resources, we no longer see ourselves as the lowly servants that Mary saw herself as. Our joy comes not from our own resources. Lowly Mary carries the child who will one day declare, blessed are the poor. The signs, the ways and the means of our blessing is not from what we have. It's not from what we generate. But it's from what God does through us. It's disconnected from our social status, from our wealth, from our resources, And our joy is not attached to any of those things. Do not fall into the trouble of thinking that you are joyful because you're well off, or you're in a good job, 
Your joy comes from knowing that you are loved by God and he wants to use you. And we know that's the case because that's where Mary's joy came from. Not social status, not vocation, not resources. But rather Mary's joy came from the knowledge that she, a lowly lowly servant girl, could be used by God. So one of the things that I've seen God doing a lot, I'm off notes now, is moving and speaking to us in different ways. That people, I've seen people have encounters with God, God's Holy Spirit. Um, we've encouraged you last week to, to listen to God and to talk out, to step into that place of risk, to pray for things you wouldn't normally pray for. I think the two things that get in the way of us doing that one, a belief that we need to get it right. That failure would be problematic if we got it wrong. And secondly, a doubting part of us that doesn't really believe that God wants to use me. And I think both these things are tackled in this passage. Mary doesn't know the end of the story. All she knows is that she's pregnant. She doesn't know what the Messiah will be like, the character, the nature. She doesn't know that he's going to die on the cross and rise and defeat death. But she just knows that God's doing something. God's doing something in our midst. We don't know what it is. We don't know where it will end. And we shouldn't try to control it. It's like the wind. We should try and sail rather than try to to influence it. And secondly, we aren't good enough for God to do that to us. We are lowly servants of the kin. But yet, it's his character and nature to use us. To do great things for him. And this is what God will do through us if we are obedient to him. He will show strength with his arms. He'll scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He'll bring down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly. He will fill the hungry with good things. He will send the rich away empty. How do we know this? Because he has helped his servant Israel in the past. He remembered his mercy towards God's people. He made a promise to Abraham, to Moses, to Jacob, and he makes the same promise to us today that he will bless nations through his people. He will bless nations through his church. We will see the world change because God has chosen to use you and I for that purpose. I have no idea why he's chosen to use you. There are much better people out there. (laughs) No offence. But he's chosen to use you and me, despite us being lowly servants. And so we may be used, as Mary was used, to change the world and bring the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to all we know and love. Amen.